Phenomenal Fan Podcast. A podcast by the fan for the fan. Everybody that's tuning in, what's going on? Welcome back to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. My name is Ryan. Episode 55 for you guys today. We got a lot to talk about because we are less than, fewer than, less than, less than a week away from the Super Bowl, Bowl, Bowl. Eagles, Chiefs. We got some awesome prop bets, fun, value-worthy, different types of prop bets that we feel like you guys should get in on in one capacity or another. And that's, like I said, for fun reasons in some cases, for value reasons in other cases, we're going to be discussing different extra sports topics that you guys would be interested in. Besides the big Super Bowl that's coming up here on Super Bowl Sunday as we record today, Monday, January, I'm sorry, Monday, February 6th, 2023. Like I said, less than a week from the Super Bowl. But as we sit here and record, yeah, you know, we have the Super Bowl coming up. But other than that, this is like that really like slow sort of lull in the sporting calendar, at least in my opinion, as a baseball football primary guy. I know we have the NBA on a nightly basis. I know we have college basketball I know we have NHL, but to me, those those three on a Monday night, tonight, for example, right? I mean, you're going to have, what, seven NBA games. The NBA regular season is just brutal to be a part of. And we'll get into that, by the way. We'll talk about the NBA. College basketball, you know, it's like, it's okay. But again, unless it's a top 25 matchup, which doesn't happen very often, kind of snoozy. Same with the hockey. So it's a little bit of a lull, especially after the Super Bowl, right? At least we have this buildup and lead up to the Super Bowl itself. Uh, And before we get into the Super Bowl, right, we got to talk about probably the biggest news out of the NFL besides the Super Bowl. And that is Tom Brady retiring from the NFL. What does this mean for the rest of the league? Well, starting with Brady and just the straight-up retirement and on-the-field play and the product of the NFL and the -the on-the-field production and effects, right, on Tampa Bay, on the entire league. So Tom Brady announces his retirement. Formally, finally, for the second time, (laughs) retires from the NFL, posts a video from the beach in Florida, announcing his retirement kind of eerily similar to what he did last year, except last year he put out like this full highlight montage video and everybody basically made the assumption that he retired already after last season. And let's be honest, he should have retired before this last season. He should have retired after he won the first Super Bowl at Tampa Bay, called it a career, kept his wife, 
kept his family life intact. Instead, he is a psycho, hyper-competitive idiot, in my opinion, by going back to the NFL and playing two okay years uh, at the back end of his career when he clearly wasn't the same physically that he had been in, in, in his prime in the NFL. Brady retires officially, right? And nobody, I think a lot of people expected it. A lot of people knew it was coming in, in one capacity or another. Uh, but the issue is he's retiring. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers now have, I think it's like one active quarterback signed on their roster. And now Brady's done. Tom Brady's out of the league. That just leaves, you know, of that old quarterback group. Phillip Rivers is done. Eli Manning is done. Peyton Manning is done. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is done. You know, uh, now Brady's done. And now you're sitting here. I guess you could include him into that older generation of quarterbacks. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers. But Rodgers, to me, is is a couple years younger than a lot of those guys. And so he's kind of in that middle ground. But he's also older than most of the quarterbacks in the NFL. He's contemplating retirement also. And we'll see what happens. But for Tom Brady, retiring. At this current moment in time, for me, in the league, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't impact the outlook of the league for the years and years to come, right? Because there was rumors that he'd go to Vegas. There was rumors that he'd go to Miami. There was rumors he'd stick around in the NFL for another year or two, go help a team out. People were talking about it and treating it like he was the savior. Like he would go to Miami or go to Las Vegas and immediately lead this team to all kinds of just incredible success. And that would not have been the case. Nothing about Brady retiring right now changes anything as far as the spectrum of the NFL and the performance of the teams for next year. All it does is just kind of screw over Tampa Bay a little bit, but Brady was already really unproductive in his last season in the NFL. That's no disrespect to Tom. He played, you know, good enough to get into the postseason, and his legacy is cemented forever as the greatest quarterback of all time. But Tom Brady retiring doesn't do anything for me, and that's okay. He's just old and he's done, right? But now he's got a couple different things lined up, right? He's got the NFL analyst job with Fox where he's going to be making a ton of money, and I think he's going to be amazing. I think he's just, you know, if Tony Romo is as good as he is, and I, you know, I love Tony Romo. I love Tony Romo. In the booth, I mean. He does a great job breaking stuff down, and he's entertaining, and he gets fired up, and he does all these different things. Uh, but I think Brady has an opportunity to be just as good or better because he's smarter. Uh, he had a more, more illustrious playing career, right, over to a guy like Tony Romo. So I think he's going to be able to offer a lot as far as an NFL analyst position goes whether that's in the booth, whether that's in the studio, both. Uh, I think he's going to be excellent. But then you have this underwear situation. Tom Brady has his own brand of clothing the brady brand next generation apparel according to him and he posts a selfie on twitter 
of him in his boxer briefs from his company. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I will be honest. He doesn't really look that great. He definitely doesn't look like football playing shape. And I know he's only been out of the league and not playing for a couple weeks. And maybe that was the determining factor. Maybe he lost 10, 15, 20 pounds. But a lot of people said that at the start of this 2022 NFL season, that Brady didn't look very good. I don't know what's going on, how his body and how he is mentally handling the whole situation with his divorce from his ex-wife, his kids, retiring, getting older, all these different things. But he doesn't look anywhere near as healthy and muscular and fit as he did in the earlier parts of his career. I don't know if that's good or bad as he's gotten older, uh, but the bottom line is, no matter what, that post and that picture of him in his underwear is bananas that he would post that online. Absolutely bananas. I don't know if he sent that to his publicist or his PR people before he posted it, uh, but I don't think he did because if he would have, I can promise you they would have said, hey, Tom, you know, why don't we hold off on the boxer briefs mirror selfie for a couple more weeks out of retirement or just until like after the Super Bowl uh, because it's not a great look, Tom. You're looking a little bony, no pun intended. And on top of it, man, it's also just, it's also just kind of gives off kind of like weird vibes, right? Like, would you ever see any other quarterback in the NFL posting mirror selfie boxer brief pictures from their bed with their hand covering their jock. I don't know. Just gave off a kind of some weird vibes. Don't really love the move there from Brady. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't love the move, uh, but now he's retired. So I guess he can do whatever he wants. And you know, maybe it is a smart move uh, for him to, to kind of gain notoriety or, you know, gain traction PR stunt, if you will. Uh, but weird. Kind of a weird move from Brady. If you haven't seen it, go check him out on Twitter. Literally at Tom Brady. Posted it today, Monday, uh, February 6th. In the morning. Did I do it right? He tagged Edelman. He tagged Gronk. Tagged his own brand. And I don't know. Weird. Weird vibes, man. I I, I don't know how I feel about it. Whatever. Nevertheless, guys, let's sweep that away. Let, let, let's get Tom Brady's underwear out of our heads for a second. As mentioned before, we're going to be move, talking about, and in this case, we're going to be moving on to... Is it... 57? Is that it? Yeah, okay, 57. Super Bowl 57. Fun bets to place, fun bets to consider. Uh, a lot of different things that we can touch on, a lot of different things we can bet on. I'm going to give you five different markets or bets that you guys can get in on uh, at a sports book or just... You know, with your friends, if you want to do friendly bets, head-to-head -head bets, right? Because there's a lot of these bets that have one side or the other. Uh, or a pool, right, with your friends on multiple option bets that we'll get into, and I'll explain later on. 
as well as my picks for the actual game itself, right? Because I have legitimate picks uh, that I'm going to be taking. So we have a few to talk about. And it's interesting to see. So we'll start with all the different bets that you can place that are non-game on the field football bets that you can place. And there's two in particular that catch my attention that are always fun to bet on, right? The first one is the coin toss. Get in on the action, heads or tails. It's a 50-50 bet, right? You know, you don't have other outside things. You don't have other, uh, you know, influences or anything else. It's just, will the coin toss be a heads or will the coin toss be tails? I specifically am always a heads guy on the coin toss. Always, always, always a heads guy. Tails never fails is such a common misconception uh, because it's obviously 50-50. Uh, and if it hits tails, it hits tails. That's fine by me. But I'm going to take heads almost every single time I have a coin toss. I just, I like, I like the prospect of, you know, heads being the underdog in a lot of ways. I like the prospect of fading the tails people. So on the coin toss specifically, it's funny. It's, it's interesting that you can bet on it. And I like that idea. Uh, so go check it out if you guys haven't already. Both of them are usually, you know, minus 110 or whatever the case may be. I'm going to be a heads guy, and that's the first bet I'm going to be taking for the Super Bowl. Another bet that is available at a lot of different sports books uh, and that is available, you know, in a lot of different places you can bet on. And this is one that I mentioned before with a lot of, you know, multiple options. So you get a bunch of friends together. You can pull your money in on one particular option. You can draw out of a hat on different options and colors and things. And it is the color of the Gatorade that gets dumped on the coach of the winning team, right? So let's say Chiefs win the Super Bowl. The coach, you know, they lock it down with the kneel at the final, final play of the game. Andy Reid starts walking towards the middle of the field. Guys dump the Gatorade over his shoulders, as is typically ceremonially, ceremonially uh, what they do when coaches, you know, on coaches when they win the Super Bowl. There's a multitude of different options here. There's a bunch you can choose from as I'm looking at it. FanDuel's got option one is orange Gatorade. Option two is yellow or green. They put them together. Option three is clear or water, right? So it'd be like a clear colored Gatorade or water. Option four is blue Gatorade. Option five is red or pink Option six is purple. And on a couple other sports books, they have no Gatorade bath as an option. Now to start off, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take no Gatorade bath to begin with. Okay, I just wouldn't do it. I think, I think it would be stupid to take that even though you think you're getting value, right? You think like, oh, well, maybe it just gets caught up or this and that. Almost, I feel like no matter what. I mean, looking back in the history here of Gatorade colors to be dumped on the winning coach, 
they have a historical reference sheet of every color of Gatorade that gets dumped on the winning coach. Gatorade has gotten dumped on the winning coach every single year since 2000. Every single year. Except for 2002 with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. And that was a last-minute game or a last-minute determination. And 2002 and 2004. Both with the Pats, both with Belichick, both with guys. Oh, and apparently 2017 also. 2000. Oh, geez. All right. You know what? Let me let me let me rephrase this here. Every year since 2000, there's been Gatorade dumped on the coach, except for 02, 04, and 17. All were the Pats, and then 2013 uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. But again, I f- I'm almost certain that many of these games and this, those determining plays were the last or second-to-last plays. Of the, there was not enough time, right? There's not enough time, in my opinion, in those games for the guys to get together, coordinate it. All right, yeah, this game's over. We're going to be taking a knee. Grab the Gatorade. Let's go dump it on coach, right? When those games come down to the final play, it gets a little bit interesting. The other reference sheet or the other reference that I wanted to, to put into this consideration here is that in 2020, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl over the 49ers. They went with orange as the Gatorade color. And according to the odds makers, uh, at FanDuel, orange is the second it's second odds on favorite. And at BetMGM, orange is the favorite. You also have a team on the other side like the Eagles. Okay? Now... I don't know what the Eagles reference sheet is. I don't know, uh, you know, if there's a, a historical database on which color the Eagles used for their Gatorade. Uh, but according to this article that I have here listed on the lines.com, orange has appeared more than any other Gatorade color since 2001, as it's shown up five times. Think about that, though. Five times is really not that many times in a 22-year span. The orange uh, orange Gatorade went on the Chiefs in 2020, like we talked about. But yellow and green is favored on FanDuel. So if I'm taking my best pick here, I'm not going to take a chance on these long shots on purple, on red or pink. Or even blue, right? I think I'm going to keep it basic and down to the the top three options at most sports books, which is yellow or green, orange, or clear slash water. I think those are the best three. If I had to make my choice, I don't think it's going to be clear slash water. I also don't think it's going to be orange. I think it's going to be yellow or green. So my pick for... The Gatorade color is going to be yellow or green. Now, the other ones that we have to talk about here are more based on the game itself, right? Uh, We have a few different ones here that are, you know, about the game, but they're not necessarily like, total game like total yards or or like how many over under touchdowns or different stuff it's like a lot of it's one play one situation one scenario instantly you know decided bet basically uh 
and the first one that I think is is honestly hilarious um, is a handful of different ones, but one of them in particular is the one that they have listed of the jersey number of the first touchdown scorer. And it's listed at over or under 11 and a half. What that means is the jersey number of the first touchdown scorer, you take over 11 and a half or under 11 and a half. Now, of course, you have guys like Jalen Hurts, who could very easily score the first touchdown as a runner of the ball at quarterback. His jersey number is one. You also have Patrick Mahomes. His jersey number is 15, which would be over 11 and a half. You have uh, on the Chiefs roster specifically, a guy like Isaiah Pacheco, running back. His number is 10. Jarek McKinnon, another running back. His number is one. So there's two guys, two running backs that touch the ball a lot for Kansas City that are both under 11 and a half. On the flip side, I mentioned Jalen Hurts has number one, but you have guys like Miles Sanders, number 26, Kenneth Gainwell, number 14. A.J. Brown is number 11. Devontae Smith is number six. So you have a lot of different things to choose from. Uh, You know that every receiver and tight end, for the most part, if they're not single digits, is going to be in the 80s. Right, you got Dallas Goddard, tight end is at eighty, uh, number eighty-eight. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is number eighty-seven. Um, Mecole Hardman on Kansas City, number seventeen. Uh, other receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster is number nine. Valdez Scantling is number eleven. It's a really, really, really solid number for them to be listing that that number at. Right, jersey number of the first touchdown. Over or under 11 and a half. Under 11 and a half is listed at minus 130, which means it, according to the sports books, that's the favorite, right? That's the more, more likely outcome uh, than over 11 and a half. And because of that, I think that I'm going to ride with also under 11 and a half. You got AJ Brown's number 11, Devontae Smith's number six, Jalen Hurts is number one, Pacheco's number 10, McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon's number one. I, I just think it's more likely. Now, if it goes to a tight end at 88 with Goddard or at number 87, Travis Kelsey, I can live with that. Um, what's going to be frustrating is if Mahomes gets the ball first and scores on that, on a QB scramble or whatever, that would piss me off. Okay. But I'm going to be taking under 11 and a half for the Jersey numbers uh, of the first touchdown score. I think there's the value there. I think there's, there's legitimate reasoning behind that. Um, and I think under, under 11 and a half, I think under 11 and a half is, is the best pick. Don't have to follow me on these, but I think it's, it's the best choice up next. Another fun one that'll be settled instantly, instantly is the results of the opening kickoff. Will it be returned or will it be a touchback? And that's another one that you can take a step back and just look at the numbers. Just look at the numbers objectively and sit back and see that Philadelphia, a.k.a. uh, uh, Jake Elliott, 
has a 65% touchback rate on kickoffs. Kansas City is, and Philadelphia is 65% is listed at the 11th in the league. Right under them at 12th in the league is Kansas City with 64% touchback percentage. Jake Elliott for the uh, for the Eagles. Harrison Butker for Kansas City. In a dome in Arizona, Super Bowl on the line, opening kickoff, absolutely jazzed up. I am going to take touchback. I'm going to take touchback. I think I took touchback last year and it bit me in the butt. Uh, but I think ultimately... That's that's one where it's almost it almost has to be a touchback. You just take the percentages, take the numbers. In a dome, two kickers with big legs, controlled environment, right? No wind, no outside factors. It has to be a touchback. So in that market, touchback or return on the opening kickoff, I am going to be taking touchback. Next on the list, and one of the f- more fun ones that I'm also you know, going to have action on, shortest touchdown yardage in the entire game, meaning what yardage will the shortest touchdown of the game be? And the line is set at over or under one and a half, okay? So one and a half yards is what the total is set at for the shortest touchdown. So what that means is if you take over one and a half for the shortest touchdown in the game, you think the shortest touchdown will be at least two yards or more. Take the under, you're taking, you're basically banking on a one yard touchdown. That being said, the under one and a half for shortest touchdown yardage in the game is at minus 180. That's a heavy favorite. Over one and a half is plus 150. Again, I know there's not a ton of value in this scenario, but I'm going to continue to hammer the under one and a half. Why would I do that? Because since 1990, 70% of Super Bowls have featured one one yard touchdown. 70%. On top of it, you got Kansas or you got uh, Philadelphia. You got Jalen Hurts. You got the absolute Masters Kings reliance of the QB sneak. Jalen Hurts loves to get right under center, two guys behind him, the push for the one yard. And if you're telling me there's not going to be a one-yard touchdown, at least with Philly running the ball in some capacity, even last year's game or uh, actually whatever it was two years ago with – Kansas City and Tampa Bay, there was a one-yard touchdown in that game. And it was Mahomes throwing a one-yard touchdown pass. So I think it's more likely that it's going to happen than it won't. And if I'm taking the bets or if I'm taking a side on the shortest touchdown yardage in the game, I'm taking under uh, one and a half yards, meaning there's going to be a one-yard touchdown. And then I think that's it for this, except for the final picks of the game. And the ones that I'm going to be taking. Now, these are directly related to the game. This is the spread, and this is the total. 50 and a half is the total set for this game. I want to take the over. Everybody wants to take the over because that would mean an entertaining game, an entertaining matchup, a lot of points. And that being said, I'm not going to. I'm going to take under 50 and a half. I think Philadelphia's defense is going to absolutely stymie 
uh, the Kansas City offense. I think the Eagles play stellar defense and run the ball all over the place, which runs the clock. And so I'm taking under 50 and a half. I'm also going to be taking the Eagles on the spread. Eagles are only a, a one and a half point favorites. Some people argue that Kansas City should be favored. A lot of different things. And, you know, I don't, I just don't agree. The Eagles are a much better and much more well-rounded football team. The defense is stellar. The run game is excellent. And Jalen Hurts can throw the ball with almost anybody in the league. Their offensive weapons are crazy. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Gainwell, Boston Scott, Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts, Quez Watkins. I mean, dude, it's they're loaded. Uh, Kansas City is sort of loaded. Mahomes is obviously incredible and the best quarterback in the league. Kelsey's great. Pacheco's solid. But on defense, they're not going to be able to stop the run game. And it's going to run out the clock, and the Eagles are going to win by at least a touchdown, maybe two. Uh, So with that being said, I'm going to take the Eagles minus one and a half on the spread, and I'm going to take under 50 and a half Uh, because I think that's that's reasonable. So those are my picks for the shortest touchdown yardage of the game, first jersey, uh, jersey number of the first touchdown score, coin toss, the result of the opening kickoff, the Gatorade color, the total, and the spread. Moving on to another topic here that I've seen discussed and talked about a number of different times specifically by the guys at Barstool and Brandon Walker, okay? The top 10 highlight reel athletes of all time. There's a ton of different athletes you can choose from, right? Some of the most electric players in the world, some of the most athletic guys would make my list here. But in a lot of cases, guys that make this list aren't necessarily the greatest athletes of all time on their sport. And on the flip side, you're not going to come across some maybe of the greatest athletes of all time in a sport making this list. For example, Tom Brady would not make anybody's top 10 highlight reel lists of all time. He just wouldn't. He just simply wouldn't do it. A lot of guys are really good in baseball. Mike Trout's amazing, but he probably wouldn't make this list either. He's an incredible athlete. He's got a ton of amazing highlights, but baseball is not necessarily a sport that you're going to find a lot of highlight tapes from, right? You'll get one one clip here and there, one home run, one thing you could bank on, but it's hard to get a, a reel of highlights together unless it was an amazing defensive player, which is potential, but it's not common. There is a baseball player that I put on this list, but the rest of them are football, basketball, and uh, you'll see the other one here, which is pretty pretty obvious. But we're going to be ranking our top 10 highlight tape athletes of all time from 10 all the way down to one. And I think this is the best list you'll find anywhere. Okay. Top 10 highlight reel athletes of all time. Number 10 is called Joe Burrow. The guy, Joe Burrow's highlights at LSU some of the throws he made uh, were absolutely unbelievable. And you have to also consider the context and circumstances of some of the highlights that we, you know, was putting up on a consistent basis. Highlights like uh, some of the throws he made at LSU against Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Some of the throws he made in the college football playoff semifinal game. A lot of them weren't like, oh my God, like this guy is the most dynamic, insane, flying around. Like, you know, nobody would argue that Joe Burrow, you know, runs the fastest or jumps the highest or does these different things. 
but some of the throws he made were absolutely obscene. They were ridiculous. On the run, he would scramble, he'd run. His decision-making, everything he did in college at LSU for that one year was absolutely ridiculous, not to mention his statistics and numbers could back that up very easily. So number 10 highlight real athlete of all time is college Joe Burrow at LSU specifically. Yeah, let let me clarify that. College Joe Burrow at LSU for that one year. Number nine is Giancarlo Stanton, okay? The guy is built like a refrigerator. Uh, He's the size of an industrial-sized, or let's just say he's the size of a family-sized regular refrigerator in anybody's home kitchen. He's gigantic. Uh, He hits balls so hard, and at such odd and low launch angles and trajectories, and they still just go out, like, easily. He hit a grand slam last season, a walk-off grand slam, to win a game for the Yankees. It was like, it looked like a line drive base hit to left field. But it just sizzled its way over everybody's head and into the eighth row of the bleachers. It was ridiculous to see somebody do that. I mean, he's, he's hit balls out of Dodger Stadium. He's hit balls well over 500 feet. Uh, and he does it, you know, 10, 15 times a year where you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy is so much stronger than everybody in the sport. So number nine, and the only baseball player I'll have on this list as a, as a bit of a spoiler is number nine, uh, at Giancarlo Stanton as a highlight real athlete. Number eight is Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. And that, that goes unspoken. Everybody remembers some of the plays that Johnny Manziel did. And if you're a quarterback on an opposing team and you're able to go in to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama on the road, you're going to have some highlight reel plays at some point in that game. And my God, did he ever. Not only that, but he had some plays, man, where he would just scramble around, running around in the backfield with his like a uh, chicken with its head cut off, turn around and just air a ball out and it, it would complete it for 30 yards ridiculous yeah you know it was a lot of luck but the other part of the Johnny Manziel factor that made it so electric was like not only his playmaking ability and this is something that Joe Burrow didn't really offer as much and that's to no fault of his own right to each each guy handles their business differently but when Manziel would make these ridiculous throws he would he would flex he would dance he would you know celebrate and that that to me adds that little extra spice and flair that that had him jumping a guy like Burrow because Burrow's numbers were better than Manziel's and his performances and types of throws, honestly, and his decision-making was better than Manziel's, but Manziel's highlights were a little bit more ridiculous. And then his celebrations afterwards being Johnny Manziel and the guy that he was they were It was a complete package that would consistently produce electric highlight reel tapes from Johnny Manziel. So number eight is Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. Number seven on this list is Blake Griffin on the Clippers. There was a few highlights of Blake Griffin on other teams that were ridiculous too, but some of the, that like six month span or that four month span when he was with the Clippers. And I think he was paired up with Deandre Jordan, a handful of games too. Blake Griffin used to put his nuts in up in guys. nostril. Like he used to be, his head would, the rim would be at his nose. It'd be nose height, and that's where the rim would be. And he he would catch a ball, okay, in the paint. 
And he'd be like, like, of course the rim's 10 feet in the air, but he'd also be like eight feet out, right? Where most guys would just turn around and throw like a little jump hook, like mid-range fade, you know, one-handed hook shot or whatever you'd call it, you know, just a, 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 a nice touch over the top of the defender. Blake Griffin would go, he would turn around and just go, all right, I'm going airborne. And just sail through the air. I mean, he would just, he would literally fly. He would fly in the air. Like, it looked like he had a jetpack on, catching these alley-oops, and just, like, it was ridiculous. I mean, there was a span, literally, it's like every, oh, like, once a week. A Blake Griffin highlight, oh, there he is, just murdering a human being. There it is again. It was ridiculous. So his highlight reels on the Clippers and yeah, featuring a little bit, you know, on other teams as well were some of the most ridiculous I've ever seen. And that number seven is Blake Griffin without a question. Clippers, Blake Griffin, and a handful of highlights on other teams. Number six is Michael Jordan, the greatest, uh, the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay. Michael Jordan at six for me. This is mostly due to the fact of his killer instinct, uh, his crazy hops, his innate ability to pull off anything from dunks to crossovers to three-point shooting uh, to passing. He did it all at a really high level, obviously. Combine that with clutch ability, right? Making shots with the game on the line, winning at a really, really high clip, of course, with his, uh, you know, just handful hands and hands and hands full of of championships with the Chicago Bulls the 90s Bulls uh he was an electric athlete and he also I don't want to say wasn't that big in the sense of like real life because in real life you know he's whatever he is six four six five that's gigantic but in the spectrum of the NBA especially today's NBA he he was you know kind of a small to middle-sized guy and he was still putting ridiculous highlights together on a consistent basis and just routinely dominating the league and scoring at a ridiculous clip. So number six for me is Michael Jordan uh, as far as his highlight tapes go, because they're still electric and you have to consider the fact that he's the greatest basketball player of all time. Number five is a bit of a niche one, but something that I think a lot of people know about. This is Tavon Austin's highlight tapes from West Virginia. Tavon Austin's highlight tapes from West Virginia when I watch those tapes, I, I, along with a lot of other people, were convinced that Tavon Austin was going to be the greatest football player of all time. I mean, literally, some of the moves, some of the shakes, some of the broken tackles, some of the catches, some of the returns that Tavon Austin would pull off in this these highlight reels at West Virginia— the other thing you have to consider, okay, in these highlight reels is not just, of course, the plays themselves and the athlete and what they're doing on the field, but the the editing and the music choice and all these different things considered. And the Tavon Austin tapes from West Virginia were some of the most electric pieces of sporting content I've ever witnessed with my two eyes. That being said, as we all know, Tavon Austin never really panned out, right? He never really... He never really uh, lived up to what was massive amounts of hype uh, from his West Virginia tapes. I don't even think his, you know, his metrics and numbers and stuff like at the combine were that electric. Uh, but everybody knew Tavon Austin from his West Virginia tapes. I mean, that's what he's known for. 
He's not known for his crazy NFL production. He's not even known for his stats specifically. Just his tapes and his highlight reels were insane. So number five highlight reel of all time for me or highlight athletes with Tavon Austin at West Virginia. Number four is Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer of all time. It's not really particularly close. And in order to understand and appreciate some of the shots that he pulled off on a consistent basis, you have to, you know, know the game of golf to some degree. And you have to have played it at least a few times to understand that, like, taking a pitching wedge out of heavy rough from 200-plus yards and putting it on the green at a back pin location within three feet, it's not, like, really impressive. It's not, like super hard it is impossible it's impossible some of the shots he would pull off are impossible uh combine that with the crowd reactions and the caliber of shots the degree of difficulty on the biggest stages in the world he he had the innate ability to pull off just shots that were already impossible to begin with but you add on the the stage you add on the pressure right? The, the shot, the chip shot out of the rough at the Masters on the 16th that rolled down the green, you know, 35, 40 foot roll after he chipped it out of the rough, like a hole in one at the 16th hole at the Waste Management Open. I, you, like, how, how does this guy, like, it's just crazy. Not to mention some of the comebacks, some of the consistent, repeated dominance that he had. His shots were crazy. Absolutely crazy. So Tiger Woods, for me, is the number four highlight real athlete of all time. Just some of his shots were just stupid. Just stupid, okay? Number three on this list, and this might surprise some people, okay? I don't think a lot of people would pull this name out. But when you hear it, you know it, and you can understand where I'm coming from. Number three highlight reel athlete of all time with some of the most electric highlight tapes I've ever seen is Jason Williams. White chocolate, okay? This guy would try stuff in NBA games, passes behind his back, like elbow passes, and between the leg pass, he would routinely make bounce passes to teammates through defenders' legs. Like, he would almost go out of his way to do it. He made the NBA look like uh, a rec league game being played by an NBA player. Like some of the passes he'd pull off were like, oh my God, how did he just do that? Or you'd have to like, wait, 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 hold, what? What? That's the type of stuff, that's the type of reactions that that for me puts him in the top three on this list because he 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 made it look not just easy, it was like, confusing it's like bamboozled everybody by pulling off some of the stuff that he would do on a consistent basis ridiculous that elbow pass in itself for me puts him immediately in the top five he didn't have a long illustrious mvp hall of fame caliber career uh, in a lot of people's eyes and he's still top three on this list and i don't think there's any discussion number two is vince carter Vince Carter used to dunk on everybody. 
And he showed up to the NBA dunk contest and made that event sustainable. He's the reason the NBA runs the the All-Star Game festivities and the dunk contest. Vince Carter is the reason why the dunk contest is as big a deal as it is today and why it became a spectacle because Vince Carter showed up and decided, you know what? I'm going to do things that probably no other human being in the history of athletic achievements would be able to replicate. That's how crazy some of his dunks were in the game and not in the game. He dunked. He jumped over another human being in the Olympics. He jumped over him like a seven foot tall uh, player, a, a guy that's seven feet. He just jumped over him and dunked the ball in the process. What? Nobody else is doing that. It's crazy. Absolutely insane and crazy what Vince Carter was able to pull off. Now, the number one highlight reel athlete of all time, before we get to that, there's some notable honorable mentions that we want to include, okay? Guys that just missed the cut. Uh, people are going to say, where's LeBron? Where's Bo Jackson? Where's um, Kobe? You know, where's uh tom brady or peyton manning or these different guys barry sanders you know i get it okay but to me a lot of these guys didn't they didn't just it, this is all subjective and personal opinion right these guys just didn't quite do it for me those guys all that i listed okay but i can tell you who did the number one highlight reel athlete of all time for me is Michael Vick. Uh, Michael Vick used to run around the field in regulation NFL football games and make it look like the guys trying to tackle him were Pop Warner peewee football players. Like, he would just run up to a guy. He wouldn't juke him. He would just, like, turn and, like, run around people like you would just run around them or he'd be in the backfield he'd scramble out of pressure and he'd plant his feet and he would throw a football like 85 yards and he would just flick it and it would go like 85 yards the combination of Vic and Deshaun Jackson in the parts of his career where Vic like I said would just flip balls down the field it was, it's stuff where if you've ever tried to throw an NFL football that far, it's not only like not doable, it's, it's, it shouldn't be impossible. It shouldn't be physically possible. And he wouldn't just do it once or twice. He didn't just do it once or twice. He would do it like twice a game. He would just like flip a ball like 80 yards down the field. Or he would just scramble. He would just run just around people. The most electric athlete. I think I may have ever seen, there's a handful of other guys that as far as electric athleticism goes, they're probably right up there with Vic. We talk about highlight tapes, right? Because Vic played long enough in the league to accumulate enough stat, you know, enough electric highlights to put some tapes together. (sighs) 
So my top highlight athlete of all time is Michael Vick. That's my list. From 10 to 1, it goes Joe Burrow at LSU at 10, Giancarlo Stanton at 9, Johnny Menzel at Texas A&M at 8, Blake Griffin at 7, Michael Jordan at 6, Tavon Austin, West Virginia at 5, Tiger Woods at 4, Jason Williams, White Chocolate at 3, Vince Carter at 2, Michael Vick at number 1. That's my list, okay? And that's what I wanted to list off for highlight tapes of all time because people have been talking about it for a long time. People have been discussing it, debating it, doing different things. I wanted to put my list out there on the record for everybody to see. So that's going to take uh, us to our next topic. And we mentioned the the greatest of all times and guys that didn't make the list, right? Tom Brady, uh, Rogers, Peyton Manning, those types of guys. And on that topic of discussion, we talked about Brady retiring. The documentary... Uh, ESPN 30 for 30 bullies for Baltimore came out on ESPN and a, a small part of the, a small part of the, the documentary was all the different guys getting together and just reminiscing and talking about the team they were on and the players and all these different things. And the quarterback of the, the Baltimore Ravens, when they were having a lot of success and winning Super Bowls, was Trent Dilfer. And Trent Dilfer popped out a ridiculously hot take uh, that we're going to go ahead and take a listen to because this is bananas. Okay, bananas. Modern day game does not impress me. It's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback and when you can't reroute receivers and when you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love these guys. It's not impressive. What's impressive is what they did. So he pointed at the defensive guys from that Baltimore Ravens team and said, I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers. What they do is not impressive. What's impressive is what those guys did, meaning the defensive guys for Baltimore. Obviously, a bit of a balloon take there, obviously. Uh, context has to be considered for a number of different things okay number one Dilfer's coming from a perspective of he won a quarter or uh the the first thing you have to consider number one is that Dilfer is coming from a perspective of a quarterback who won a Super Bowl and just didn't play well and clearly his perspective is you don't really need a quarterback to play very well to win a Super Bowl and on top of it and his his second point of view, or on top of his perspective, the other part he's bringing into the conversation is, as the years have gone on, and the NFL has gotten more and more quarterback-friendly, it's become easier and easier for quarterbacks to stay upright in the pocket, to not face a ton of defensive pressure, or just take big hits in general. And uh, it's just become more passer-friendly, which all of that is entirely true. So Dilfer's perspective on it isn't, isn't entirely skewed. The problem is you can't say what Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers do isn't impressive because Dilfer, even if he was playing in this style of the NFL and this caliber of the league where quarterbacks are a little bit more protected, he still wouldn't put up anywhere near the numbers that Brady and Rodgers and those other guys have put up. 
On top of that, Brady, he says here, you know, he says, if you can't hit guys over the middle and you can't do things like that, not only did Brady and Rodgers and all these other guys hit wide open receivers over the middle, they throw balls 40, 50, 60, 70 yards down the field and drop them into buckets, back shoulder throws. Aaron Rodgers on the run, throws balls across his body and hits guys and drops passes into one by one square foot boxes. It's crazy. Some of the throws these guys make. So Dilfer is coming at it from a crazy perspective because it's obviously biased uh, as his point of view is. He, he came at it from a perspective that I can understand, but the wording and the verbiage needs to be, uh, it needs to be considered a little bit more the next time he says that the stuff that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers does is, is not impressive. Uh, and it's okay. I, I don't, you know, I know also Dilfer is also on a stage in front of, you know, a, a few hundred people talking about that Baltimore Ravens team and everybody in the crowd is affiliated with these guys on stage. So like in all honesty, like what is he supposed to do? Uh, maybe just don't talk about it. Maybe just say, you know, I think defensive players in general and what they do is more impressive than what offensive players do. He didn't really need to drag in the greatest quarterback of all time and another top five quarterback of all time and mention both of them as not impressive, that's tough. Uh, but I can understand. I can understand where Dilfer's coming from, but next time, let's not mention the greatest quarterback of all time and another top five quarterback of all time and use the words not impressed. That's not going to get you very far in any sort of argument, uh, especially coming from a guy who, even if he played at the, you know, coming from a guy, especially coming from a guy who if he played in the same eras as Brady and Rogers wouldn't put up the numbers anywhere near he would I'll put it this I I don't I don't want to be disrespectful to Dilfer which is why I'm struggling right because he won a Super Bowl no you know what it doesn't matter I don't care he's not listening and, and it doesn't matter it's hard to hear that coming from Dilfer especially considering if he played quarterback in the same era and in the same time frame as Brady and Rodgers, his numbers wouldn't even come close to the numbers that those guys put up in a quarterback-friendly area, right? In a, in a quarterback-friendly era of the league. Dilfer would still be a middle-to-bottom-tier quarterback. So it's a little bit hard to hear, okay? The last thing we're going to talk about before we let you guys go, okay, is the NBA. We've talked about it a ton of times. I've made my stance on the NBA entirely clear and very clear. Let me make sure I make my stance on the NBA as clear cut as I possibly can. Okay. The NBA is an entirely unserious joke of a league. It's a joke of a league. There is nothing about the organic and authentic outcomes of the NBA that I can sit back and say, this is an enjoyable product for me to take in on a consistent basis. The contracts in the NBA mean nothing. Team affinity and team loyalty means nothing. It is an entirely 
egocentric, uh, large market driven, profit based league that routinely and consistently platforms players, coaches, personalities that do not deserve it in any form of those words. Kyrie Irving is a prime example of what's entirely wrong with the NBA. Kevin Durant entirely uh, Kevin Durant is another example, right? The, these guys just demand trades uh when they don't get calls or they don't have plays or when these guys face a little bit of adversity or the referees call fouls against them or make unfavorable calls in the game. They throw temper tantrums, they get technical fouls. And then when it comes to playoff time, the regular season just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Golden State could get into the playoffs as a 10 seed, as a three seed, as a one seed. If they have Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green healthy with any other combination of Harrison Barnes earlier in the year, or, you know, uh, with any other combination of Harrison Barnes in the earlier parts of Golden State or Iguodala or now Jordan Poole, if you got those big three and you toss in another talented player, they will be in the Western Conference Finals easily. Smaller to medium market teams have no chance. Oh, you want a chance? All right, well, why don't you just build a super team and trade all your draft picks away? Then you guys will have a shot. Just build a super team. Oh, wait, but where do all the players go to build the super teams? Miami, LA, New York. It's brutal. It's absolutely a brutal product. Not to mention the defense does not exist in the NBA. I check the scoreboards every other day or so and routinely see a team. I routinely see half the, half the games on a routine basis half the games on a nightly basis feature a team that scored 135 or 140 points. It's a, it's, it's a league that's turned into, uh, it, it's turned into an instant gratification, uh, fantasy league that's designed for people with short attention spans. Oh, I want points. I want my players, all superstars on the teams. I want Lakers. I want Lakers. I want New York, LA in the finals, NBA finals. I want New York, LA, NBA finals, 290 points per game. That's what the NBA's turned into. That's it. And then when it doesn't work out, right, when it doesn't, go the way that these super teams are built, it just implodes. And all the players on all the super teams, when things don't go well, sit back and just go, mm, mm, trade me, trade me. I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me. Kyrie, things don't go well in, in uh, Brooklyn. James Harden, trade me. Kyrie Irving, trade me. Kevin Durant, Trade me. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. 
everywhere Russell Westbrook goes, he plays there for like a year and a half, two years. Things don't go well. Team's not good. Mm, trade me. What? What is this, a fucking fantasy league? It's ridiculous, man. NBA is a horrible product. It's a joke of a league. And I just don't understand how they consistently turn out the profit margins that they do. I mean, the playoffs are semi-entertaining. Semi-entertaining. Like, let's be, let's be honest. After the Kyrie trade to Dallas, that puts them up towards the top of the Western Conference. But another team that's at the top of the Western Conference is the Denver Nuggets. Are the Nuggets going to win the NBA Finals this year with Nikola Jokic potentially winning three straight MVPs? Absolutely not. There is no chance the Nuggets win the NBA Finals this year. There's no chance. They're going to lose to Dallas, super team, Golden State, super team, or the Lakers, super team. That's just how it works. Nuggets are mid to small market. Don't care if they have the NBA uh, MVP. I don't care if they have a back-to-back, potentially three-time MVP or Jamal Murray or other really talented players. It No, it doesn't matter. That's that's my take on the NBA, and in all honesty, I don't want to spend a lot of more a lot more time talking about it because it's a joke and it just it's just so frustrating. It's just a terrible league. Nevertheless, guys, that'll do it for episode fifty-five of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Greatly appreciate the support. Be sure to check us out on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify if you're listening there, Apple Podcasts if you're listening there, YouTube. Check us out on there. We appreciate the support. Thanks for listening to my rant, my rant for this entire time. And otherwise, we will catch you guys on the next episode of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Want more? Follow us on social media and subscribe to Patreon for exclusive content.